0: Hello, welcome to another Wannabe Entrepreneur. Today is Thursday, and as you know, on Thursdays I normally release interviews. Interviews that I do with other indie makers, entrepreneurs, about their journey, their successes, their failures, or about specific topics like marketing, sales, coding. But for the past weeks, I haven't been releasing anything new. I've been taking a break from interviewing And I've been republishing older interviews, which I also find important. I know there's a lot of you that are newer listeners and you haven't gone to the older interviews and the older episodes. There's a lot of knowledge there. I've interviewed a lot of successful entrepreneurs and uh, there's great journeys to take a lot of learnings from. But today I want to do something different. I want to experiment with you. I'm still not going to release a new interview. But I want to go through the older interviews with you and try to find the pattern of what makes certain entrepreneurs more successful than others. When I first started this podcast, The Wannabe Entrepreneur, one of the main reasons why I called Wannabe Entrepreneur is because I truly believe that becoming an entrepreneur is something that never ends. We are always learning. There's so many variables and my goal was really to become the best entrepreneur i can be to really learn the craft and that's why i've been also interviewing a lot of people from different scenarios after a while i decided to focus more in bootstrapping and indie making and even in that smaller area there's a lot to be learned it's it's really the the area in entrepreneurship that i'm more passionate about because here you create your ideas your business from nothing you have no external investment and it's only you a lot of us are solopreneurs or we have smaller teams and you can really see the hassle and you really need to learn a lot of different areas i've been learning a lot since i first started this podcast and i i have to recommend if you want to learn something about a specific area Start a podcast is definitely a great way to do it because you get to have one hour, two hour long conversations with experts in the matter that if you didn't have the interview reason, they would never speak with you. So I truly believe that this is a great opportunity and I've been learning a lot from uh, these interviews. Today, I want to go through the interviews Or the people that I interviewed that actually have found a lot of success. People that are making a lot of money from their indie-making projects. And I want to try to analyze what's making them so successful. Is there a pattern? Is there a way they are doing things that the others are not? That we are not? Because I'm still not there yet. So I want to do this analysis with you. And uh, I will go through multiple of the interviews I've done and play you small parts of it and uh, hopefully we'll find some interesting conclusions before we start if you find this content interesting or if you have questions for me if you want to give me feedback of this new experiment i'm doing make sure to send me a dm on uh, twitter at wb podcast and share this with your other indie making friends now let's get started
1: hey everyone i'm michelle I'm a co-founder at TypeDream. I was born and raised in Indonesia and I moved to the US for college in 2015.
0: So, we are going to start with interview 196 with uh, Michelle. The reason I picked this one is because I really like Michelle's energy. She w- was born in Indonesia and moved to the US alone where she went through college and after graduating, instead of uh, finding a good job, she decided to follow the entrepreneurial route. And uh, this took a lot of guts because if this would not succeeded, she would have to go back to her country because she would have no money and no way to extend her visa. She found uh, five co-founders and they started building companies. And uh, they built many companies. They've tried multiple things. One of them was actually sold and now they are working in Type Dream a company that allows you to use Notion to build websites. And they're also doing some interesting things with Web3. The first company that Michelle and her co-founders tried to build was the Robinhood for Indonesia. It turns out that their Indonesian friends all wanted to trade stocks. However, that was not accessible to them. They did not have any app that would allow that. So that was their first idea building the Robin for Indonesia. However, they quickly realized that this idea wouldn't fly.
1: So we found that idea because our friends wanted
0: yeah. that product. So it, it was not your own, pro- your own problem that you're solving, right? You're solving someone yeah, else's Yeah, it's
1: problem. our friend's problem. Ah. But then um, the regulations hurdles were just too much. The capital mm. requirements was too, were too high, so we didn't end up pursuing that idea. And we pivoted into this passwordless authentication company called Cotter.
0: Let me stop right here. So, did you see how fast they pivoted? How fast they were able to just put their baby, their idea aside, and move to the next one? This is what I believe to be a crucial skill for any entrepreneur. In the end, your goal is to reach profitability. You want to reach your ramen and pay your bills. However, if you get too stuck to one project, you might waste a lot of time with something that will actually never fly. Now, one cool thing about doing projects that uh, fail is that you get to know that audience. You get to understand what works. While they were building Ramenhood for Indonesia, they started to build a way to authenticate their users using their phones. It turns out that in Indonesia, people don't use their emails. Actually, they mostly don't have desktops. They all use their phones. And the best way for you to authenticate is not by using a password, is by using your phone number. When you register, you get a message with a code, and then you introduce that code, and you are logged in. They built... A piece of code that would allow them to do that in their first app. And uh, they realized that there were a lot of other companies, a lot of other businesses that wanted that piece of code. So they thought, let's make a business out of this. This is how Cotter came to be. And this company was actually very successful. They ended up selling it to another company. So one interesting thing that uh, Michelle realized was that it's really important to understand their customers and uh, what problems they need to be solved. Listen to this.
1: So what you have to do is to talk to your potential customers and ask them what do they want. Okay. And before even asking what they want, because what they want is meaning um, what feature you can build with your product, right? But before mm-hmm. all of that, You should approach your potential customer and ask what problem are they having, and then if they have the problem that your product is solving, then um, ask them what do you currently do to temporarily fix the problem that you're having. Mm -hmm. And if they're already working on some fixes or if they don't really care about the problem, you can always find the red flags. But if they are doing a temporary fix but still looking for more then you can start offering your product okay if i built this for you will it solve your problem Mm -hmm. and then you can ask the following questions like what features can we build to improve your life um what can we do um so you're willing to pay for our product
0: every entrepreneur i know made this mistake We just want to build something, something cool, and we completely forget to realize if it's actually solving someone else's problem. It's crucial before you write one single line of code, before you start building your product to make a few questions. Understand who is your target audience? Are you solving their problem? Are they willing to pay for it? Fix all of this before you even start building your product. And I know that I'm telling you this and you will ignore it and start building the product right away. Sometimes I even still do that when I think it's a simple enough product that I can do in one day or so. But believe me, it's never in one day and uh, you don't want to waste time doing something that no one will use. Another really interesting thing about my conversation with Michelle is to understand how they started to get to know their audience. They first built the Robinhood for Indonesia. They understood that there was a problem with the authentication. And they pivoted to something completely different. And while building Kotter, this uh, passwordless identification or authentication, the developers were using Google a lot. Surprise, surprise. 95% of uh, developers' work is Googling. And the other 5% is actually coding. So... They were Googling, they were reading a lot about passwordless and identification, and they also started to realize two important things. First, what is the lingo of the industry? What are the buzzwords? What are people talking about? And second, what is missing? What is missing in the market? What were the things that they tried to search and didn't find? This provided great knowledge about what was missing in the content wise, and uh, this was a great opportunity for them to work in their SEO and to start bringing really nice traffic. They just had to write blog posts around the topics that were not mentioned enough on Google.
1: Because when my developer team were building this product, they Google, of course, they didn't build it from scratch, right? Like they used they did a lot of Googling to Mm. eventually build the product. And during these Googling sessions, they found that reading someone's articles about the topic really helped. So once they were an expert in the field, they also wanted to do the same.
0: Okay. They just wanted to give back.
1: Yeah. And another reason is like when they search in Google about like the certain keywords they want to find, they were led to these articles. So they also thought, oh, SEO hack. If I want these keywords Uh, to lead to uh, Cotter, then I will write some articles about these. So yeah, yeah. we kind of figured out SEO on the go because we benefited from SEO. We also, as a user, we also want to benefit from SEO as a maker.
0: In these small fractions of the conversation I had with Michelle, we already understood two really important factors. First of all, that we must understand our audience and we need to do all the right questions even before starting our first line of code. We also understand that the more we get to a specific audience, the easier it gets to do marketing. We start to understand what are the right keywords and uh, what kind of content will resonate the most with them. There's still a lot to be learned, so make sure to listen to Michelle's interview on episode 196 But now let's move on to the next interview.
2: I started my indie hacking journey like over 11 years ago. At first, I tried to do it while having a full-time job. I was a software engineer for many years, and I I just it didn't work for me. Like I never had the energy to do it, and I made all the same mistakes everyone makes at the beginning. So nothing was getting traction. It's even more discouraging because you have no energy and no traction.
0: This is Mark LG, aka Judo Hacker on Twitter. After a bootstrapping journey of 11 years trying out multiple projects, he found success with Power Importer, a no-code tool that allows users to easily update their Webflow CMS. He says that after founding Power Importer, that the process of getting users and growing his MRR was much simpler much more fluid than any of his projects before.
2: All along, it felt easy. And, and that, like, considering all the failures I've had, like, <laughs> yeah. where, where you feel like it's, it's hard, you have to convince people, you have to, oh, you, you convince yourself, oh, it's because there's missing features, that's why they're not interested.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like,
2: like, I've felt that so many times before, like, and he, but here it was easy. It was mm. yes. I'll jump on a call with you. Yes, I'll share my screen. You know, yes, I'll, I'll give you the API keys to my Webflow and my Airtable. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, like they were just yes, yes, yes all the time. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. And then after the, the private beta, when I I I was confident that I had something that was working yeah. for for many use cases, then I just did the Stripe integration and started charging right away, and people were just signing
0: up and paying for it. How did you advertise uh, the product once it was out of the private beta?
2: I, I just continued to do what I was doing, which was hanging out in the forums and answering people's questions.
0: This fluid feeling that Mark talks about seems to be that uh, product market fit, that keyword, something that every entrepreneur is always trying to find. When you have the right audience, the right problem, and the right product, and everything comes together, and the clients just want to give you their money because you are really saving their lives. You are making their lives much, much easier. The way Mark started this power importer tool was by doing freelancing. He was actually helping a friend, a friend that was using no-code tools and was not able to manage his databases or to import them. You have to listen to the full interview to fully understand that. And by solving that problem, he started to question himself. Maybe other people have a similar problem. And he did something similar to what Michel did. He went to the forums, he went online and started searching for it. Is there any solution? He started to really go deep into the no-code community, understanding what the lingo was, where they hang out, what are the top forums, and this was his own marketing strategy. After releasing this tool, he would go every day to these forums and answer any questions related to Webflow and try to plug Power Importer. This is a great marketing tool. I've used it myself, and I still use it every day to bring traffic to the WBE website. And it works. Later, I asked Mark what was his recipe for success. Listen to this.
2: I have, I have my own set of criteria for what makes a good startup idea for, for myself. And okay. So, so I, I'm looking for something that's demand-driven. So customers are actively searching for a solution.
0: How do you know and, if there's a demand for it?
2: Yeah, I mean, you could use the keyword, you do keyword research, uh, you know, look on Stack Overflow, look on in forums to see if people are asking these questions. Right. So that that's one way of doing it. Uh, so yeah, I quickly saw in Webflow forums that, yeah, there were a lot of these problems. Like people were constantly asking mm-hmm. these questions. How do I do it with Zapier? How do I do it with Integromat? Yeah, and in that case, it's very easy after that for me to just show up on the forum and say, well, this is how you could do
0: it. Or you could try Power Importer that just does it all for you. Interesting. So much like Michelle did, first Mark tries to find a demand, something that already exists, a problem to fix in the market. And then he just has to fix it and uh, go in the forums and share the solution. Let's hear his second ingredient for a perfect startup recipe. It needs to be niche. Because then
2: then you you can easily target those keywords. There's no competition. And if it's Mm. really niche, you can really tailor your landing pages for that audience. So when they land on the page, it's like it just talks
0: to them, right? What is the next uh, uh, criteria? The best one is
2: B2B. (laughs) because <laughs> I've, I've done a lot of B2C and yeah. it's so yeah, yeah. hard. It is so hard. People are cheap. They don't want to pay. They,
0: they will always prefer
2: yeah. a free alternative.
0: Mark just mentioned two crucial points for any entrepreneur and it's something that we mostly always get it wrong. First of all, focus in a niche. This is super counterintuitive because when you're doing a web product, your target audience is the world. You can, with a click of a button, put your web page available and anyone in the world with an internet connection can see it. So, logically, we think, okay, let's make a product for everyone because the chances of getting noticed are much higher. Wrong! This is so, so wrong. That's completely the opposite. When you don't have a specific niche, no one will find you. Because what keywords will they even use, right? People are already bombarded with information left and right. So you need to let them go to you. You need to fix their problem and target that specific niche so that you can fully understand your audience, you can fully understand how to reach them. So this is really, really important. The next thing that Mark says, it's also really, really crucial, which is B2B. Everyone. Because we have seen Facebook, we have seen Tesla, we have seen Apple. We assume that we can do the same. We assume that we can do products that will help everyone in this world. We want to do a B2C. But as you, if you are an entrepreneur, you probably have tried your B2Cs. I know it's super, super hard. Because you need a lot of people, a lot of volume to make money. And especially for indie makers, we don't have either the expertise, the time or the money to reach to that amount of volume. So this is the recipe of Mark. It's really, really important. There's a lot of similar points to what we'll learn with Michelle. Again, this is a one hour long interview and there's so much more for you to learn. So make sure to listen to the interview 194 to learn more about Mark and his projects. Now, let's go to our third interview.
3: <laughs> thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's, it's surprising how many Germans you find <laughs> in, in entrepreneurship <laughs> or people who've been to Germany. But yeah, thanks so much for having me uh, on the show today. I'm really, really looking forward to our conversation.
0: Yes. On episode 164, I interviewed Arvid Kohl, the building public master. First, He was able to build a company, Feedback Panda, that later is sold for a reasonable good amount of money, and since then, he has been teaching us how to become better indie makers through his books, Twitter, YouTube, podcast, you name it. And he's the master of audience-first building. I learned a lot in this interview from him. Listen to how he explains the success of the top products on Product Hunt.
3: The, the thing is that most people don't understand about Product Hunt. Product Hunt is not a reflection of how good your product is. Product mm-hmm. Hunt is how good is your existing audience. How, yeah. how many people are already there to support mm-hmm.
0: you. Arvid speaks about something that at the time I didn't fully understand, but now it's crystal clear. How important it is to have an audience to back you up. If we go back to what Mark and Michelle said, What they try to do is to find a problem in an already existing audience. After that, they try to understand more about that audience. They try to get a little bit of an audience of their own. Having an audience is crucial for every launch you want to do. And your approach for product building needs to be different than your approach to marketing. This is something that took me a long time to understand. When you're building a product, you want to build an MVP which is the most simple version of a product that already solves a problem. And then you launch it. The advantage of doing so, especially if you're doing a tech product, is that you can update your code and your product on the fly. A launch is not like that. You can only launch once. After you launch once on Product Hunt, you can only launch again roughly about three to six months after. So you really need to take your time to prepare a good launch. and. No good launch goes without having a great audience to back you up. But how do we get a great audience? A mistake that we often do is to look to the space we are most comfortable with. But sometimes, just because we are comfortable around the space, it does not mean that there are problems to be solved.
3: Every software engineer out there is trying to build developer tools for other developers because that's the problem space they know. But they completely forget that they just spent solving their own problem and every software engineer out there loves solving their own problems like it's literally the worst space to solve problems in is a space where people love a challenge yeah <laughs> it's 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 a bizarre thing but people built and built and then nobody uses their problem at mm-hmm. uh, their products because People just don't have the critical problem. They can solve it themselves. It is imperative that you understand who you are solving problems for, what problems mm-hmm. they actually have that they can't solve themselves really well, and then build the solution to that problem. It starts with people right. and it starts with listening, not assuming, but with listening and observing people's, people in their communities talking yeah. about the problems that they cannot solve easily themselves.
0: So far, I've shown you three interviews, three indie makers that have succeeded with their products and are able to make money, a lot of money, from their projects. And I don't know if you noticed, but none of them so far spoke about how good their product is. Granted, you need to make a good product. No one will pay for a shit product. But this is not what will make you succeed. Everyone is building great products. Everyone is building something that works and it's good. If you didn't, yes, you have bigger problems to solve. But given that you already solved that part, given that you already know how to build a product, more important than that is to find a great problem to solve with a great audience. And uh, it does not mean that you need to be in your comfort zone. As Arvid said, Just because you're a developer, it does not mean that you need to make products for other developers. There's other things that you can do. And in this interview, the interview on episode 164, Arvid proceeds to explain a detailed way for you to find a great audience. He basically explains that you need to look around you. You need to look at your hobbies, at the things that you are passionate about and the things that you would like to dive more into. For example, I love sailing. This is completely unrelated to indie hacking or developing, but it's an area where I probably can bring a lot of value to, and I'm even considering building products around that. You need to find the same for you, and I really recommend you to listen to episode 164 to learn more about that. And now, I want to analyze with you the last interview of today's episode he's the top indie maker around and of course i had to bring him to this episode yeah
4: so uh my name is peter levels um uh, I'm, I'm originally from holland um amsterdam kind of i wasn't born there but i lived there a lot and everybody knows amsterdam so it's easy place
0: to say you know yeah um, <laughs> i love the and, city man it's such a cool city yes yeah, it's,
4: it's beautiful man especially in the summer it's amazing and uh and so I make kind of like startups, but like not like really like billion dollar startups. But I mean million dollar startups is kind of good, and they're uh, kind of indie. So I don't really raise funding for them. I just make it kind of myself. I I write code. I design. I make the logo. I do the marketing. I do pretty much everything. I make the database. I make the code. And um, and I made like a lot of projects, like over like seventy projects, and. A few became successful, like Nomad List uh, and Remote OK, and recently, like you said, Rebase. And most of my projects now are about kind of like remote work. um, And it's kind of like my mission is to promote the freedom of global movement uh, that's enabled
0: by remote work. Out from the start, there's something here that you probably already noticed, something that goes in line with all the interviews I've shown you so far. Peter Levels found his audience. All of his products, or at least all of his successful products, are around his audience of digital nomads and indie makers. People that want to travel the world and work just from their laptop. He has been building products for them for a long time. And it seems like a niche. It seems like a small audience. But this small audience is big enough to bring millions every year To Peter Levels. This was episode 184 and I highly recommend for you to listen to the full 1 hour and 20 minutes. It's really interesting to learn more about the mind of Mr. Levels. However, there's one specific section that I want you to listen now. The section where I asked Peter why does he think that his products make so much more money than any of the other indie makers around. Listen to this.
4: So there's this thing with like, you have reality, you have things that are happening and companies that are being made now. And then you have people's brain and their secrets and their inside of their brain, what they're actually thinking. Right. And you want to be in the time where a lot of people are are secretly thinking the same thing. Yeah. But they're not saying or doing it yet. How do you know? Well, exactly. Like many times I've, I feel like I think things and because I try to do radical honesty, I try to just say what I think. Yeah, It comes out, and then suddenly people are like, ah, yeah, I wanted to say the same thing, but I was like scared. It was like, you know, too crazy or something. Right. And I think it's like moving to Portugal. I mean, that's, it, it's kind of crazy in a way. Like, let's move to Portugal and register <laughs> in Portugal and pay tax there. And with Nomad List, was the same. Like, let's be, you know, let's move to all these cities in the world and just go yeah. live there for a while.
0: This is interesting, isn't it? We have just discovered another hidden pattern, something that you probably didn't notice when I showed you all the past interviews. Have you noticed it now? All these successful entrepreneurs have one thing in common. They are able to disconnect themselves from the rules of society, from whatever society might think of them. Let's take the example of Michelle. She came from Indonesia. She got her degree and found a great high-paying job. However, not long after that, she decided to quit to follow her entrepreneurial journey. Something that her family did not agree or even understand. But she did. She had her goal and she sticked to it. After that, we have Mark. Mark told me that he is an introvert. However, he also told us that he made a lot of video calls and interviews with his customers. That was his way to understand the problem that he had to solve and to build a great product. To really understand your audience, to really understand if your audience will pay for the product you're building, you'll need to do a lot of interviews. You'll need to make calls. You'll need to show at your customers' doorsteps to make questions. This is something that can be a little bit frowned upon. A lot of people wouldn't have the courage to do that, but it's crucial. Another person that is really an introvert, and he admitted so in the interview, is Arvid Kohl. And I know what you're thinking. Arvid Kohl is not an introvert, but he admitted so in our conversation. He just says that when he's speaking about entrepreneurship, when he's speaking about indie making, he transforms himself into this extrovert person. Actually, most entrepreneurs are introverts. I know, it seems weird, but many entrepreneurs that I've met, they are. When you are able to disconnect yourself from what others might think, a lot of new doors will open up for you. Listen to Peter on this.
4: Because with Nomad List, I was observing that this was happening already. I was in Chiang Mai and I saw like 20 to 30, 40 people, 40 nomads there living there. Right. But it was very small. Now it's like thousands. But I was observing that people were already doing something Mm -hmm. and it was working for them. But they were not normal people. They were like a little bit weird people, you know? Like they were strange. Like I'm strange, I think. And then you need to observe like, you need to try. Like, is this a fi- is this a like fringe? Is the word f i f r i n g like okay. a fringe thing? Like a new thing that's like kind of frowned upon, you know?
0: And then many this times is where intuition something- comes in, right? And the, and the, I know that you kind of believe in intuition, yeah, and-
4: yeah, God, intuition, but like because many times when you think something, everybody else is thinking the same thing because we're all on the internet and we're all reading the same shit, and we're all everybody watches porn, everybody. Does things we don't talk about uh, or, or, or read articles, you know? Like, actually, we have a collective brain, and but people are limited by the constraints of, of acceptable society, right?
0: And that's it from Peter Level's interview. I highly recommend you for you to listen to the full episode. It's episode 184, and it's really, really interesting. That's everything I have for you today. I think we're able to uncover a lot of interesting hidden patterns among successful entrepreneurs and indie makers. First of all, how important it is to find the right audience, how important it is to research that audience and find a problem that they are willing to pay for, and in the end, also how important it is to disconnect ourselves from what society might think of us and just go for it i hope you liked this new kind of episode please let me know if you did via dm on twitter my twitter is at wb podcast. i don't do any advertisement on this podcast so if you want to make sure it continues to exist there are many ways for you to support me you can buy me a coffee you can buy the wb merch or you can, of course, become a member of the WB space. We are a group of entrepreneurs from all over the world trying to make profit from our projects. We wanted to reach that sweet financial freedom and we are there supporting each other, building our projects. And uh, I've seen great, great achievements in the past months from our members so you can be the next one. It costs $10 per month. And besides being part of this amazing community, you'll be contributing for this podcast. Last but not least, make sure to share this episode and tweet about it with all of your IndieMaker friends. This was another Wannabe Entrepreneur. See you next time.